Tonight, straight from the source, the race to escape, an urgent evacuation order for the residents of Gaza, which aid groups have deemed impossible. As Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu is warning Hamas, the recent, recent strikes, and I'm quoting him now, are just the beginning. Plus, Israel hitting hundreds of new targets in Gaza and Lebanon as members of the IDF are carrying out raids in Gaza looking for hostages held by Hamas. And House Republicans tonight went home without a speaker. The chaos that is happening on Capitol Hill has real consequences for what's happening in Israel. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Right now, Israeli forces are moving closer to the Gaza border, striking more targets tonight as speculation of a ground invasion is growing following Saturday's deadly attack by Hamas. Anderson Cooper will join us live with his reporting from Tel Aviv in just a moment. But this all comes as there is a race against time for what could be the next phase of this war. Israel has issued an urgent warning overnight to more than a million Palestinian civilians living in northern Gaza, telling them to move south within 24 hours, about 1.1 million people in just 24 hours. The United Nations says that is impossible. They're calling on Israel to rescind that evacuation order, which I should note Israel has not done tonight. That red box at the top of your screen that you can see right now, that's the evacuation zone in Gaza. But here's the problem. Most of these people have nowhere to go. Entire families have been sent scrambling, piling into cars or really whatever mode of transportation that they can find to get to safer ground. Many of them have been left to walk for miles. President Biden directly addressed the massive humanitarian crisis that is unfolding today, and he emphasized that many Palestinians have nothing to do with Hamas. The president also made a promise to the families of the 14 Americans who are still missing tonight after a conversation that he said was gut-wrenching. I say we're going to do everything in our power to find them, everything in our power. And uh, I'm not going to go into the detail of that, but there's a... Uh, we're working like hell on it. Anderson Cooper is live in Tel Aviv tonight. Anderson, of course, since we last spoke last night, Israel issued that warning to Gazans who live in the north to evacuate their homes. The U.N. says essentially that's not doable with so many people in such a small amount of time. But it seems clear that the phase of the war, this war that we are witnessing, is about to shift and potentially very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does. Uh, you know, as you know, Israel has amassed 300,000 plus of, of reserve forces uh, along the border. Artillery units are, are in place. Uh, there's no doubt whatever comes next is going to be violent and deadly and a lot of people are going to die. Um, you know, Hamas has told Gazans not to leave Gaza City. They do not want the civilian population moving further south. Um, we have seen today uh, large numbers of people trying to move, traffic jams and, and the like, uh, but it is a very difficult situation. There's not a lot of places for them to go in the south. It's not as if there are huge tent camps that, that have been set up. We don't have Hamas helping people move to the south. And that southern border with Egypt uh, is closed to large numbers of Gazans who probably would like to cross into the safety of Egypt. That's a huge security concern for Egypt. So, uh, you know, large numbers of people can move when desperate enough. Uh, the question is, what, what do they move to? What happens to them when they're there? And how long is this situation going to last?
Yeah, there's fewer resources even in the South than there is in the North. Anderson, you were reporting earlier, and there was this moment where this happened in the background. I just want our viewers who missed it to, to see this Rockets moment. do come, generally they come from that direction. That sounded like uh, Iron Dome interception. Can you just describe what happened, what you heard? Yeah, it was just something that hadn't happened much in the last couple of days in Tel Aviv. Large-scale air sirens uh, suddenly came on very shortly after. Uh, you heard uh, one, uh, I think it was the launching probably of an interceptor, and then the, uh, whether it was a, uh, an actual rocket intercepting a, a rocket or not, I'm not sure, but there was a very large explosion relatively close to this area. Um, but that's just a, it's a relatively rare thing over the last several days here in, in Tel Aviv, obviously closer to the border. You have a lot more of, of that sort of thing, much more of a back and forth. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was certainly something which got a lot of people's attention here in, in Tel Aviv for a few seconds today, Caitlin. Yeah, and I should note, we're seeing some moments lighting up in red from Israel as we're looking at the sky right now. Obviously something that we're monitoring uh, very closely, Anderson. I mean, what is what has it been like just being on the ground today? What's the sense after being there now that you know we're nearly a, a week after this attack? You know, I look. There, there's a lot of resolve here uh, on the ground on on the Israeli side. There's certainly a lot of anticipation of what is to come. Uh, you know, people are saying goodbye to their family members, uh, reservists who are are, are being called up uh, all during this week. Some are still on uh, route. Um, I think people are just kind of waiting to to see what 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 is the next step, and, and certainly on on the Gazan side, I mean there is tremendous uh, struggle as people are buried being buried here in Israel. There's tremendous struggle uh, in in Gaza among civilians, um, and Hamas, it bears repeating, uh, wants to use these people as much as possible uh, as human shields to prevent Israel from. Uh, being able to go after Hamas as effectively as they would like. Uh, it is a incredibly, it's going to be an awful situation. There's going to be a lot of civilian casualties, and um, it doesn't seem at this stage that there's much way to prevent that, uh, given the entrenched positions on all sides. Yeah, and I should note, what we're seeing right now is Gaza. These are the images that we are watching very closely Obviously, speculation has only grown about a potential ground offensive and what that could look like. Anderson Cooper, great reporting. We'll check back in with you as we monitor these developments tonight. Speaking, of course, of what is happening in Gaza, which you were just looking at there, joining me tonight is Hani Almadhoun. He has dozens of family members who are in that evacuation zone that we showed you, that tiny red box in northern Gaza. He is also the director of philanthropy at the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees. And Hanny, I'm, I'm so glad you're here with me tonight because your mom, your dad, six of your siblings, so much of your family is in that tiny red box, that evacuation zone in Gaza. And I imagine that they are pretty terrified tonight. Yes, absolutely, Caitlin. It's been a tough time because I wear two hats, the humanitarian relief hat for UNRWA USA and a family man who has family in Gaza. And, you know, my in-laws evacuated today to a safer place and promised safety. And, you know, nobody stopped them. They got there and they regretted that decision because they went to a place where no facilities, everybody's sleeping in the street. They regretted that and they said, hey, 
let's go back to our home, but they couldn't. So there is a lot of trauma there for the Palestinians. My mom is definitely in the red box there in Beit Lahia. We just saw it on the map. She is unable to leave. She already left one time from our other house up north, and she said we can't leave. Right now she's hunkering and sleeping under a staircase, staircase in our family's home. And, you know, today was the first time I was able to call her, and she, and this really broke my spirit. She said, can you turn the video for a minute because it feels this is the last time I will see you. And I was surprised she would do that. And, you know, our family, our extended family lost 16 people, 14 in one attack and two people later. Now, I, you know, I, uh, it's, it's, we have not had time to process that drama, that trauma in our life. And I just feel, you know, it's, there is a lot of work to do and I can't take a break because we want to support the Palestine refugees as you've heard the reports about UNRWA's facilities. And, you know, we work here in the U.S. to support and many generous Americans stepped up to support our work. But also there is the personal side, which makes it a lot more painful because but it's, Henny, you know how it is. You, you were on the phone with your mom today and she said she wanted, she wanted to turn the camera on because she feared it might be the last time you two see each other. Yes, and that was really heartbreaking because I haven't talked to her in about five, six days, you know, because if the internet, the, the internet is down, the, the electricity is out, water is scarce, and I feel like they're all abandoned, and I'm not seeing a parade in the U.S., and I'm sorry for Israeli loss of life. I'm seeing a parade there. Nobody acknowledges our loss of lives, and my family has nothing to do with anything, but they, yet they're punished as if they did a crime. And we're talking about 25 people in a small apartment trying to stay together. Some of those families make decisions, should we split, should we stay together? Some families split, go to different locations, so this way they could survive if somebody happens. And sadly, my family decided to stay to stay put, to stay together. You know, some of these little details we don't think about, like, you know, the women now so, fear, fe so fearful of taking a shower because they know that a bomb would come and then they would have to run naked in the street or if they die, then they're not going to be decent and people will dig their bodies. There is no shortage of challenges and trouble and, and, and struggling people, 1,900 or more are dead in Gaza now. And Your you know, family, you, they're scared to take a shower because they're scared that if, if they're showering, a bomb will go off and strike them? Right. And I mean, that's not like they have water. They have water for two hours. And then, you know, my sister, Naveen, she asked me if, she, if I could adopt her daughter in case anything happens to her. And I was like, these stories get to you because you don't think about, you know, I'm a parent too. And I don't think about like, hey, what's going to happen to my children? Should anything happen? There is a lot of mental trauma in addition to what people are seeing. There is no dignity even in death in Gaza. People get buried and nothing. The best funeral is something in Facebook, your picture and rest in peace. You know, there is no time for people to bury. The fridges in the hospitals are filled with bodies, many children. I'm not going to quote numbers. The numbers change by the minute. And I, and I, you know, I hope that people see this. And, you know, we don't, we're, we're a lot of civilians in Gaza. People just, there is no facility for them to go anywhere. And right now, I'm hoping the U.S. administration will step up and just make sure that international rights are, are guaranteed. You know, we've did it for Russia, yeah. for Ukraine. I feel a little bit we have not gotten the courage to say what we already see in other places that, you know, collective punishment is not well, agreeable. Well, I mean, we, we saw the IDF, they dropped thousands of pamphlets over northern Gaza earlier, telling, urging people to evacuate. Hamas is saying the essential complete opposite, telling residents, telling Gazans that they need to stay where they are. I mean, what does your family 
planning to do? Are they planning to evacuate? Right. We've, we've seen this pamphlet. It's not like Gaza is a big place. You're talking about two main streets and people just go from one side to another. It's essentially the size of Washington, D.C. It's pretty fairly small place. So the reality is the family didn't evacuate because they don't have a place to stay. Had We had relatives in those areas. And by the way, 30 people were bombed today on a bus going to that shelter zone or safe zone. So there is no guarantees. Even you know, UNRWA, for example, was relocated from the central command in the central city to Rafah, and there was reports of bombing at the new site. So this is really, there is a lot of things that are happening that are not correct. Obviously, you want to make sure, you know, we've UNRWA lost 13 staff members. These people work for the UN. I work here in the U.S. to support UNRWA's work, and a lot of people are suffering, including my family and many families here. You know, yeah. let's talk about Americans stuck in Gaza. There's about 60 or more Palestinian Americans stuck in Gaza. They don't feel safe enough to go anywhere. The embassy has so much backlog. I'm not feeling that there is compassion to get them out. I'm hoping that they will be out soon. I could give you names. Stories of Americans got bombed inside the Rafah crossing and running for their lives with their babies. But again, I know those stories are real for me. And I know that my fellow American Palestinians, you know, we're, we're not just Gazans. We're Palestinians in Gaza. So I want to just establish that we're not just yeah. like some, you know. Hanny, I mean, I can't even imagine the pain of a conversation like that with your mother. And we are obviously thinking of all of your family and I'm grateful to you for joining me tonight. Please stay in touch and keep us updated. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Tonight, CNN has new reporting on U.S. intelligence, what it showed ahead about Hamas's planning of that deadly attack on Israel. There were two intelligence assessments that showed there was an increased risk of violence. The questions about who knew what and when, we have the details. Also, with Congress still shut down with no House Speaker tonight, Republicans have picked a new candidate, but they have the same problem. There's not enough votes for that candidate. Republican presidential candidate and former vice president Mike Pence and House member will join us here shortly. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, the House of Representatives is in turmoil with no end in sight and no speaker. That sounds familiar. It's a pattern that we have seen play out time and time again for the last 10 days now. Republicans did pick a new nominee for the job today. That's Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. But they still have the same math problem that we told you about two nights ago. More than 50 Republicans voted against supporting Jordan on the House floor. So the Ohio congressman does not have the votes to actually get the gavel. The frustration in the Republican Party is very clear tonight. I like the way this whole thing's played out, so we'll see how that goes. The problem has been consistently that uh, we've allowed emotion uh, to get in the way of logic uh, and in, in the way of the necessity to actually govern. If we can't get 217, there's going to be a new candidate. as Melanie Zanona has been reporting all of this on Capitol Hill. Melanie, I mean, emotion in the way of logic is, as one congressman put it there. I mean, the fact that Republicans went home today with no House speaker clearly means they don't think Jim Jordan is close to getting the votes anytime soon, at least. 
Right. House Republicans are really in a crisis right now. Now, I will tell you that Jim Jordan is going to spend the weekend trying to win over those holdouts. He's going to be working the phones, trying to assuage their concerns, seeing if he can get there. There's also some hope that the base is going to get fired up and that they will start urging members to get behind Jim Jordan. But, Caitlin, it is very clear that at this point, Jim Jordan is going to have a math problem just like Steve Scalise did and just like Kevin McCarthy did. In fact, in a secret ballot vote today, we're told that 55 Republicans indicated that they would not back Jordan on the floor, and he can only afford to lose four of them. I caught up with one of those holdouts. Here's what he had to say. It takes four to, or five to take them down. Yeah. And you got 55. Yeah. I mean, you do the memory with Steve was he had, you know, 17 no's and somewhere in that, that range. So 55 no's is, is very difficult. If it's not Jim, then I think the, the door opens, but it's much more likely that we get somebody quickly next week. So. Now, Jordan is going to try to take this fight to the floor, potentially on Tuesday. If he can't get there, we could see other dark horse candidates emerge. But at this point, Caitlin, there's no consensus, no speaker, and no ability to govern, all while critical issues, including aid to Israel, hang in the balance. Yeah, a lot of them. Melanie Zanona, thank you. My next guest is running to be the Republican presidential nominee, former Vice President Mike Pence is here. And Mr. Vice President, when you look at what is going on on Capitol Hill, okay, I mean, well. how does this reflect on, on the Republican Party's ability to govern and, and aid a U.S. ally when they can't even elect a House Speaker? Well, Caitlin, as you know, before I was Vice President, before I was a governor, I was a leader in the Congress mm -hmm. of the United States. And uh, uh, I still find it incomprehensible that eight Republicans partnered with every Democrat in the Congress to oust a Republican Speaker of the House. I mean, everything, everything goes back to the chaos caucus of eight. Uh, but the fact that the conference voted in the majority for Steve Scalise, but uh, he was not able to marshal the sufficient 217 to me is also, I, I really do believe it's not the way the Republican conference is supposed to work. You're supposed to be able to meet as a team, uh, the majority votes, and then you go to the floor. My, my hope is that uh, early next week when the Congress reconvenes, that uh, members of Congress will have had the opportunity uh, to speak to Jim Jordan, uh, to talk about uh, their issues, their concerns, and that they'll go, they'll go united to the floor of the House of Representatives uh, yeah. and vote to elect a Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan would be an outstanding Speaker of the House. He is a principled conservative, uh, just as Steve Scalise is. Uh, and uh, at, at a time when we see war raging, uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, uh, the worst attack on the Jewish state uh, of Israel since its refounding in 1948. Yeah. Challenges here at home in our economy, a crisis at our border. Uh, the American people want to see the Republican conference come together, elect a speaker and get back to work. Well, it's interesting to me to hear you say that, that, that Jim Jordan would be a great speaker, given he was someone who sent a text to the chief of staff on January 5th that outlined for you to violate the Constitution and block the certification of the election. I mean, do you really believe that's someone who should be third in line to the presidency? I have immense respect for Jim Jordan. He's a man of integrity, and uh, I've known him for many years. I, I, I was not aware of, uh, of his opinion going into January 6th. So my, that doesn't bother My interaction you. with Congressman Jordan in December was uh, simply over the legitimate objections that members of Congress were permitted to file under the law. But look, we, we may have a difference of opinion about my duties under the Constitution that day, but I'm, I'm very confident uh, that if Jim Jordan becomes Speaker of the House, that he'll lead with integrity and uh, 
Uh, and the most important thing is that the Congress come together, the Republicans come together and elect a speaker uh, because, uh, as, as you've uh, reported on your airwaves, uh, we may well, as we sit here, uh, be just a few hours away from, uh, uh, from when this war uh, initiated by Hamas with brutal assaults on men, women, and infant children uh, will uh, we'll enter a whole new phase. And it'll be mm-hmm. important throughout that time that America speaks with one voice, uh, that, uh, that our nation stands with Israel, that we will stand with Israel today, tomorrow, and through all the difficult days ahead. Yeah. Well, it's remarkable to hear you say that about Jim Jordan. But on Israel, they have warned more than a million Palestinian civilians to, to leave their homes, to head south within 24 hours. What would a President Pence do to help those civilians? Like the guest I just had, his family is 25 family members in one house tonight. They have nowhere to go. What would a President Pence do to help them tonight? Well, uh, the first thing I would do is pick up the phone with President El Sisi and tell him you got to open your border. And then I would make it clear to Egypt, with whom we have we have worked on counterterrorism measures in the past, that that we would assist them in in establishing refugee facilities. But look, uh, look, I, I have great great compassion uh, for um, for innocent civilians in harm's way wherever they are in the world. But Israel has no choice in this moment but to crush. Hamas. And since 2005, when, uh, when Gaza was turned over to Hamas, essentially uh, Israel and, uh, and, and the United States in supporting them have taken a position of containment. But what we saw unfold before the eyes of the world, shocking the conscience of our nation uh, and, and good people all over this planet, uh, is, is categorically uh, reprehensible and unacceptable. And and uh, Israel is going to have to do what it needs to do to go in, to hunt down, to crush and to destroy Hamas once and for all. And so I, I would urge uh, uh, anyone in that community to, to heed the warnings that have fluttered down from the skies, to head south. Uh, and then I would work with Israel, uh, with Egypt, uh, with others to make it, make it clear that uh, innocent civilians uh, need to be out of harm's but that, way, but we have got to support Israel in the hard fighting that is ahead uh, because uh, they, they have no choice but to crush and to destroy Hamas. Would you urge Israel to wait until there was a humanitarian corridor if Egypt did open its border, the Rafah crossing, really the only way for them to get out before going into Gaza? Uh, uh, look, I, I would urge Israel to move on the actionable intelligence that they have. Look, we, we know that some of the leadership of Hamas has already left the country. Uh, we have evidence uh, of that, at least that I've seen in public reporting, Caitlin. Uh, and, and, and also, we know that there are American hostages and Israeli hostages that are being held. I, I said a couple of days ago, if I was president of the United States, I would have I directed Joint Special Operations Command to signal to our Delta Force, to our Navy SEALs, to begin to immediately work with IDF uh, to support efforts. Uh, to look, Tell Hamas you're gonna turn our hostages and Israeli hostages loose, or we're gonna come and get them. Uh, but look, at the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we know who's pulling the strings here. I mean, Iran is, uh, is the sponsor of Hamas, the sponsor of Hezbollah. 
Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I, I really do believe that it'll be imperative for the United States to put snapback sanctions into place immediately against Iran. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to cancel that $6 billion transfer to Iran, and for that matter, uh, transfer it to Israel while, while the Congress of the United States is tied up in its current controversy. And I believe it's essentially important. I believe the USS Eisenhower just shipped out yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, uh, the battle group for the Ike ought to head to the Mediterranean so that we send a clear and decisive message with the Ford and with the Eisenhower in the Eastern Mediterranean, that whether it be to Hezbollah in Lebanon, whether it be to Assad's regime in Syria, whether it be to Iran, or any other actors in the region yeah. that you need to stand down well, and let Israel do what it needs to do. Obviously, a special ops w- operation would be incredibly difficult given we believe uh, Hamas has the hostages spread out throughout the area. They put them in tunnels. I mean, that is something that the administration has talked about. I do want to ask you to clarify something, though, Mr. Vice President, given but, but, you but, were there. But, but, Caitlin, if I can, if I can, if I can, I, that, that's, that's what our special operations do. I'm telling you, I was at... I was at Fort Bragg. I, I've been on the beach uh, at uh, Coronado in California with our Navy SEALs. These we have They are the best in the world, and they know how yeah, to I'm do this. Yeah, I'm not denying that. It's just an incredibly difficult you, operation. You give them up or we'll come get them. And, uh, but I, uh, beyond that, I, I just think, look, I, if the world knows nothing else, the world needs to know this. In this moment, in this dire hour, America stands with Israel. Yeah. Mr. Vice President, I want to ask you, because you were the current vice president at the time that this happened, when the U.S. issued a strike that killed the top Iranian general Soleimani. This is what former President Trump said about that the other night. I did have a bad experience with Israel, though. When we took out Soleimani, it was us and Israel working as a group. And the night before it happened, I got a call that Israel will not be participating in this attack. I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. I will say that. Is that how you remember it? Didn't Israel help coordinate that? Uh, Israel did play a role in that, but I also remember uh, the former president's uh, frustration at the time. But look, all of this is out of place in this moment. And it's reckless and irresponsible for President, former President Trump or any American leader to send any message other than full and unconditional support to Israel. And, and taking this moment to criticize the Prime Minister of Israel is just, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's reckless and irresponsible. But is what and, he's uh, saying, I've said so, is, he, is what uh, he's saying inaccurate there? I, I, look, I, I, the, the, there was intelligence that was shared around that. I thought it was an extraordinary accomplishment of our military to take down the most dangerous terrorist in the world, Qasem Soleimani. Uh, and Israel but, look, helped. The president's had his differences. The former president's had his differences uh, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, including, including after we left office, where he's been harshly critical of him. He's entitled to his opinions about it. I will tell you, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been my friend for many years. But, but uh, whatever differences that there are, whatever arguments there are over the past, they're out of place in this moment. We ought to be speaking with one voice that we stand with the people of Israel. We stand behind Prime Minister Netanyahu because there are very difficult days ahead. I was pleased, uh, I was pleased to see President Biden say the United States stands with Israel. But the challenge is going to be standing with Israel 
uh, when the next phase of this war begins, because it's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be heartbreaking. There are going to be tragic losses. But I, I, I say again, uh, after that barbaric and horrific attack uh, on men, women, and children by Hamas, overtaking towns in, in their murderous rampage, uh, I, I believe is Israel has no choice but to move forward, yeah. to hunt down and crush Hamas. And the United States of America has to make it clear we will stand with them until the fighting is done. Trump also praised the Iran-backed militant group Hezbollah as very smart. Do you think he understands the, the difference between good and evil? Uh, Hezbollah is not very smart. Hezbollah is evil. And, and Does again, Trump understand we, that? we need leaders in this country. We need leaders in this country who will speak in moral terms in these moments. I mean, this is I I, I must tell you, look, I, during our four years together, I heard him often use uh, flattering terms to speak about authoritarian leaders. But uh, uh, I, I think it's out of place always. But especially now, this is a, this is a dire moment uh, and we're we are on the cusp. Uh, of, uh, of, of literally uh, 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 Israel leaning in, uh, moving in ground forces uh, and hunting down and destroying those who would seek uh, to destroy Israel. And I, I think in this moment, we've got we've to send a clear and unambiguous message that, that we stand with Israel and we stand against Hamas, and we stand against Hezbollah, we stand against any who would oppose her. Former Vice President Mike Pence, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. We have exclusive CNN reporting tonight, learning about U.S. intelligence and the warnings that came in the day before that deadly attack nearly a week ago and the potential for violence by Hamas. That's next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, even more airstrikes, loud explosions this hour in Gaza City. We have seen and heard at least a dozen explosions lighting up the night sky uh, in Gaza in just the past 30 minutes. It comes with an ominous warning from Israeli Prime Minister today. Quote, it is only the beginning, he said. It also comes, as CNN has new reporting tonight, about what the U.S. intelligence community knew in the days before the October 7th massacre. Sources say the Biden administration was warned by both its own intelligence community and Middle Eastern allies about potential for violence by Hamas. Details now from CNN's Natasha Bertrand, one of the reporters who helped break this story. Um, so how specific was it? Where did this information come from? Anderson, these are reports that were produced by the intelligence community in the days leading up to the October 7th attack, one on September 28th, which said that there was an increased possibility that Hamas was going to start launching rocket attacks across the border, and then another one on October 5th, which kind of just warned vaguely of potential increased violence by Hamas. And then there was a third instance right the night before this attack happened on October 6th, when the U.S. Uh, began to circulate internally Israeli reporting, warning that a potential attack 
attack by Hamas was imminent. Now, none of these warnings really raised serious alarm bells across the government because they are so routine. The U.S. government gets these kinds of intelligence reports disseminated across the administration constantly, warning of potential violence flaring up between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians. And as one source put it to me, quote, the problem is that none of this is new. This is something that has historically been the norm between Hamas and Israel. I think what happened is everyone saw these reports and were like, yeah, of course, but we know what that's going to look like. Clearly, uh, they did not, Anderson. It, one of these reports came from from Israel, you're saying, the last one. So Israel obviously was very aware of that. And the intelligence for these other two reports, did that also come from Israel? The raw data on that, did that come from Israel? So a lot of the intelligence, including we understand the intelligence that informed these two reports, is based in part, or much of it is based, on Israeli reporting. Because the U.S. really relies pretty much entirely on Israel for its reporting and intelligence gathering inside Gaza. The U.S. does not have great visibility into Israel's really own backyard there, so they rely a lot on the Israelis. Now, as far as how high this was briefed and to whom, that remains to be seen. But again, U.S. officials were broadly aware that tensions were rising here. The Israelis got this warning a night before, but clearly, Anderson, it just wasn't soon enough. Yeah, and uh, clearly uh, Israel knew uh, this same information and did not uh, act uh, in, in different ways, it seems. Coming up next, Natasha, appreciate that reporting. Thank you. Coming up next, the White House saying uh, it is looking into, quote, whether it's possible to help Americans leave by land and by sea. The first charter flight carrying Americans out of Israel landed today as thousands more are asking the State Department tonight for help, and a lot of them are in Gaza ahead. President Biden says he had a gut-wrenching call with the families of 14 Americans who are still unaccounted for tonight after the Hamas attacks on Israel. The first charter flight also today that was organized by the U.S. State Department to help U.S. citizens leave Israel landed earlier today. CNN Sarah Seidner is live in Tel Aviv and tracking all of these developments. Sarah, it's so good to have you there, given you know Tel Aviv so well. You lived there previously. We know U.S. officials estimate that between you know, 160 and 170,000, I believe the numbers are lately, uh, Americans are in Israel, either residents, tourists, some other capacity. How many have contacted the State Department? What does that look like right now? Look, about 20,000 uh, Americans have contacted the State Department um, just trying to get information, some of them trying to leave. Uh, that's a lot of people, but not all of them are asking to leave. Uh, people obviously extremely nervous about what has been going on here. Uh, and if they have the option to leave and they want to leave and they want to get back to the States, they've had a very, very difficult trying trying to get a flight out, a commercial flight um, out of Tel Aviv because so many airlines have canceled their flights. There are just very few flights going and those get filled up very, very quickly. I do want to tell you that, you know, a, a few hours ago, I was on the phone with a woman who, uh, up until literally a few hours ago, she said that she was very close to the Gaza border. She was in southern Israel and that she had been calling the State Department trying to get any information. And she was told to stay in her safe room in her home um, 
and not to travel to Tel Aviv because at that moment they felt like it was not safe enough. Um, and, and that was just yesterday. It was Friday uh, night uh, here in Tel Aviv. So there is a little bit of confusion, but there is a lot of concern that it is taking so long for some Americans to be able to get out of the country. Also knowing that with all of these troops amassing uh, on the border, there is a real concern that this is going to be the beginning of the ground war um, as you know Israel continues to pound Gaza uh, from the sky. And anyone that is anywhere near that, that is anywhere along the southern border uh, who may want to leave, who may want to come back to the United States, uh, they're going to try to do that as soon as they can, but it is just very difficult right now commercially. I flew in yesterday. There was almost no one on the flight coming here. The flight was packed, full, mm. going back to the States. Yeah, I bet. Caitlin. Sarah, stay safe, obviously, on the ground in Tel Aviv. Keep us updated on what you're hearing. Thank you. This has obviously been an incredibly painful week for so many people just to process the horror of what we have seen happen in Israel the rabbi from the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh comforted his community after the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in this nation's history. His advice for keeping the faith in times like this, next. Nearly a week ago, we witnessed the kinds of horrors that will take years, if not decades, if not multiple decades, for Israel and the entire world to process. But sadly, we have seen Jews murdered in cold blood here at home as well. The deadliest attack on Jews in the U.S. happened nearly five years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. At the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, 11 Jews were killed as they were worshiping an attack that was motivated by anti-Semitism. Yesterday, before the Sabbath, I spoke with the Tree of Life rabbi, Jeffrey Myers, about coping, finding comfort, faith, and strength after an unimaginable tragedy. Rabbi, thank you for taking the time to join me tonight. I mean, these attacks have deeply shaken the Jewish community. How difficult has this time been for you, for your congregation? It's been very difficult when you combine the trauma of what's happening in Israel with uh, a community that has experienced trauma and will be uh, remembering once again on October 27th. It's uh, to say doubly difficult is uh, an understatement. Yeah, the five-year anniversary of that attack, of course, is just in, in two weeks from now. I mean, when that happened, you said that your holy place was defiled that day, but you said that, that your faith grew stronger. I mean, what do you say to people tonight who, who are questioning what to even think in the light of what happened on, on Saturday in Israel? I found that the most comforting thing is when we gather together as community. Um, Judaism is one of the longest existing faith communities in the world, uh, having been present here for over 4,000 years. When there are challenges to our faith, what we do is we gather as community because we st find strength, comfort, reassurance by being together with each other. So I would encourage people not to stay home alone, um, to gather with your community, be it for Sabbath worship, uh, daily worship, whatever works best for you, because it's in community that we find encouragement and hope. 
It really is. I mean, and when you look at this and what this means, even from a historic perspective, it's the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. It's been called Israel's 9-11. Secretary Blinken said it's actually more like 10 9-11s when you put it in perspective in terms of the size of Israel. What do you want people who are watching to know about the magnitude of grief that Jewish people feel right now, but also the magnitude of, of fear that this has instilled in people? Several things. Number one, the people, for example, will regularly ask me, do I have any family in Israel? And my answer is, yes, I have 7 million brothers and sisters who live there. So it's been an attack upon my family because uh, family is not merely a uh, geographical location. It's my entire family. But what do I say to people in response is, it could be very easy to go down that dark path and begin to turn towards evil yourself. The challenge is to uphold the, the highest standards of what it means to be Jewish, which is to love our neighbors as ourselves, is to do the good work that God demands of us to make the world an even better place. Times like this, it gets even harder, which to me means we roll up our sleeves even more, dig down even deeper, and recognize we have far more work to do, but that work is not alone. It's with all of the good people in the world who abhor what has happened and want to see that we have a, a good world that we can raise our children in. How do you still have hope after something like what happened this week? I would say over the past five years, I've gotten so many cards, letters, emails, and just in the past few days, continued communication from pure strangers who have sent words of comfort, consolation, hope and encouragement. To me, that says that there are far more good, decent people in the world than there are not. And to me, that's reassuring. The challenge is how do you take this silent majority of the good, decent people and turn them into a vocal majority that chases away all of the evil that exists out there. That's the challenge for each of us as human beings. It certainly is. Rabbi Jeffrey Myers, we're thinking of you and your congregation, especially ahead of that five-year anniversary. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Caitlin. We'll be back in just a moment. There was a terrible reminder today of the dangers that journalists are facing. A Reuters new video, news videographer, Issam Abdullah, was killed as he was working in southern Lebanon. Two other journalists who were working with him were also wounded, and the crew was reportedly covering back-and-forth shelling between Israeli Defense Forces and Hezbollah. The Committee to Protect Journalists says at least 11 have been killed in just a week of fighting that we've seen so far. Our thoughts tonight are with their families, their friends, their colleagues, all of our colleagues who are in harm's way to bring us the news tonight. And before we go, so many people have reached out this week since Saturday's awful, brutal attack, asking how they can help, who they can trust, where they can try to make an impact. CNN's Impact Your World team has updated its list of vetted organizations that you can trust. You can go to CNN.com impact, or you can text relief to 707070 to donate. And so grateful to so many people who have reached out. Thank you so much for joining us on this incredibly busy week. CNN News Night with Abby Phillips starts right now.
Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.